Hi there, this is Pastor Tim. I'm the minister at Eastside Church. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, and inclusive. And we are thrilled that you found our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church community, you can visit us at www.eastsideatl.org. Today we end our series of foraging with a posture of thanksgiving. Thankfulness to all who sustains us is a vital lesson to learn and practice that I'm sure we can all improve upon. Living in a consumer society, it's hard to imagine a culture centered around gratitude, of contentment and respect for not just the things we have, but for all of creation that has been gifted to us by our great creator. With eyes to see and ears to hear, we can be reminded that everything needed to sustain life is already here. When we take time to recognize abundance rather than scarcity, it undermines an economy that thrives by creating unmet desires. Gratitude cultivates an ethic of fullness, a gift rather than a commodity. There is an irony to it that our series happened to end today, the 4th of July, Independence Day, with the theme of Thanksgiving. It is a wonderful time and day to recognize all that we have to be thankful for in this country, the freedom we have, lives we can live. There's so much to be thankful for. But it's also a day to remember the freedom that was not granted to all and that which was brutally stolen from others. When our country was colonized and commoditized, what indigenous wisdom was lost? How do we make amends to these people? How can we shift from that which our forefathers did and turn towards those that inhabited the land before us for healing? I'm a believer that restoration begins with observation and listening. In my studies of restoration of our land and indigenous wisdom, I have come across the book Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. In it, she writes of the Haudenosaunee, which is an alliance among Native American nations in the Northeast. These are a people who set gratitude as the highest priority. Each day, they begin their day by gathering in community and reciting the Thanksgiving Address. They have published the address widely, and it has been translated into over 40 languages and heard all over the world. Today, on Independence Day, I'd like to share with you the indigenous wisdom from the land which we live and invite each of you to receive it as a respectful listener, as a student of restoration, and receive these words as a gift of the Haudenosaunee. Today we have gathered, and when we look upon the faces around us, we see that the cycle of life continues. We have been given the duty to live in balance and harmony with each other and all living things. So now let us bring our minds together as one as we give greetings and thanks to each other as people. Now our minds are one. We are thankful to our Mother Earth, for she gives us everything that we need for life. 
She supports our feet as we walk about upon her. It gives us joy that she still continues to care for us, just as she has from the beginning of time. To our mother, we send thanksgiving, love, and respect. Now our minds are one. We give thanks to all the waters of the world for quenching our thirst, for providing strength and nurturing life for all beings. We know its power in many forms, waterfalls and rain, mists and streams, rivers and oceans, snow and ice. We are grateful that the waters are still here and meeting their responsibility to the rest of creation. Can we agree that water is important to our lives and bring our minds together as one to send greetings and thanks to the water? Now, our minds are one. We turn our thoughts to all of the fish life in the water. They were instructed to cleanse and purify the water. They also give themselves to us as food. We are grateful that they continue to do their duties and we send to the fish our greetings and our thanks. Now our minds are one. Now we turn toward the vast fields of plant life. As far as the eye can see, the plants grow, working many wonders. They sustain many life forms. With our minds gathered together, we give thanks and look forward to seeing plant life for many generations to come. Now our minds are one. When we look about us, we see the berries are still here, providing us with delicious foods. The leader of the berries is the strawberry, the first to ripen in the spring. Can we agree that we are grateful that the berries are with us in the world and send our thanksgiving, love, and respect to the berries? Now our minds are one. With one mind, we honor and thank all the food plants we harvest from the garden, especially the three sisters who feed the people with such abundance. Since the beginning of time, the grains, vegetables, beans, and fruit have helped the people survive. Many other living things draw strength from them as well. We gather together in our minds all the plant foods and send them a greeting and thanks. Now our minds are one. Now we turn to the medicine herbs of the world. From the beginning, they were instructed to take away sickness. They are always waiting and ready to heal us. We are so happy that there are still among us those special few who remember how to use the plants for healing. With one mind, we send thanksgiving, love, and respect to the medicines and the keepers of the medicines. Now our minds are one. Standing around us, we see all the trees. The earth has many families of trees who each have their own instructions and uses. Some provide shelter and shade, others fruit and beauty, and many useful gifts. The maple is the leader of the trees to recognize its gift of sugar when the people need it most. Many peoples of the world recognize a tree as a symbol of peace and strength. With one mind, we greet and thank the tree of life. Now our minds are one.
We gather our minds together to send our greeting and thanks to all the beautiful animal life of the world who walk about with us. They have many things to teach us as people. We are grateful that they continue to share their lives with us and hope that it will always be so. Let us put our minds together as one and send thanks to the animals. Now our minds are one. We put our minds together as one and thank all the birds who move and fly about over our heads. The Creator gave them the gift of beautiful song. Each morning they greet the day and with their new song remind us to enjoy and appreciate life. The eagle has chosen to be their leader and to watch over the world. To all the birds from the smallest to the largest, we send our joyful greetings and thanks. Now our minds are one. We are all thankful for the powers we know as the four winds. We hear their voices in the moving air as they refresh us and purify the air we breathe. They help us to bring the change of seasons from the four directions they come, bringing us messages and giving us strength. With one mind, we send our greetings and thanks to the four winds. Now our minds are one. Now we turn to the West where our grandfathers, the thunder beings live. With lightning and thunder voices, they bring with them the waters that renew life. We bring our minds together as one to send greetings and thanks to our grandfathers, the thunderers. We now send our greetings and thanks to our eldest brother, the sun. Each day without fail, he travels the sky from east to west, bringing the light of a new day. He is the source of all the fires of life. With one mind, we send greetings and thanks to our brother, the sun. Now our minds are one. We put our minds together and give thanks to our oldest grandmother, the moon, who lights the nighttime sky. She is the leader of the women all over the world. She governs the movement of the ocean tides. By her changing face, we measure time, and it is the moon who watches over the arrival of children here on earth. Let us gather together our thanks for Grandmother Moon, together in a pile, layer upon layer of gratitude, and then joyfully fling that pile of thanks high into the night sky that she will know. With one mind, we send greetings and thanks to our grandmother, the moon. We give thanks to the stars who are spread across the sky like jewelry. We see them at night, helping the moon to light the darkness and bringing dew to the gardens and growing things. When we travel at night, they guide us home. With our minds gathered as one, we send greetings and thanks to all the stars. Now, our minds are one. We gather our minds to greet and thank the enlightened teachers who have come to help throughout the ages. When we forget how to live in harmony, they remind us of the way we were instructed to live as people. With one mind, we send greetings and thanks to these caring teachers. Now our minds are one. 
We now turn our thoughts to the Creator or Great Spirit and send greetings and thanks for all the gifts of creation. Everything we need to live a good life is here on Mother Earth. For all the love that is still around us, we gather our minds together as one and send our choicest words of greetings and thanks to the Creator. Now our minds are one. We have now arrived at the place where we end our words. Of all the things we have named, it is not our intention to leave anything out. If something was forgotten, we leave it to each individual to send such greetings and thanks in their own way. And now our minds are one. Amen. Amen. And thank you, Roxy, for that beautiful meditation. And I look forward to the chance to read the Braiding Sweetgrass book that she has been offering so much to me in this season as we've walked through Forging together. I would encourage you as well to pick it up and to give it a read. Well, again, friends, good morning and welcome to worship with us, to those present in the pews and to those from home or wherever you may be streaming the service, welcome. We are so grateful that you are here with us. And as Roxy has already said, this morning we come to a close of our foraging sermon series with a moment of thanksgiving and a word of gratitude and Our biblical passage this morning that we are going to open with comes from the very, very old book of Deuteronomy, a book that some of you have maybe never even cracked open, probably haven't read the whole thing, maybe some of you have. But there's this fascinating text in Deuteronomy that I want us to first read and then reflect on as we continue to unpack and look at this theme of gratitude this morning. For those in the room, as you're bodily able, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of Scripture. And for those gathered with us digitally, um, please embrace a, a posture of receptivity as you hear the words of the Holy Scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 26, beginning in verse 1. When you have come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess and you possess it and settle in it, you shall take some of the first fruits of the ground which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. You shall go to the priest who is in his office at that time and say to him, today I declare To the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. When the priest takes the basket from your hand and sets it down before the altar of the Lord your God, you shall make this response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien few in number, and there he became a great nation, mighty and populous, 
When the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us by imposing hard labor on us, we cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. The Lord heard our voice, saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, with a terrifying display of power, with signs and wonders, and brought us into this place, gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground to you, O Lord, have given me. Then you shall set it down before the Lord your God, bow down before the Lord your God. Then you, together with the Levites and the aliens who reside among you, shall celebrate with all the bounty that the Lord your God has given you to you and to your house. When you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of the tithe, give it to the Levites, the aliens, the orphans, and the widows, so that they may eat their fill within your towns. And then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion from the house and I have given it to the Levites, the resident aliens, the orphans, and the widows in accordance with your entire commandment that you commanded me. I have neither transgressed nor forgotten any of your commandments. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy God, God who remains in all that you create and continues in your presence in the abundance of this entire world and every human on this planet, we ask that in these moments and this time with these people, you would indeed make these words be your word for your people in this time. Speak through them, God, and when necessary, in spite of me. And as I preach them, God, I ask that the words of my mouth and the collective meditation of all of our hearts in this time space, in this digital space, across this planet, that all of it would indeed be found pleased, right, good, acceptable in your sight. God, a rock, God, a redeemer, God, a creator, God, our savior. In the name of the Christ, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Friends, you may be seated. It was hard for me when I first listened to Roxy's meditation to not immediately juxtapose the, the images of myself trying to teach and to practice my, teach my own children in the, the practice of, excuse me, saying those words, thank you. Whether it be when someone hands them a plate of food or an ice cream cone or gives them a gift or does something for them that they didn't expect, trying to teach them from a young age to say the words, thank you. And as I was thinking about this practice as a parent, it, it became yet again obvious to me that we can outwardly offer words of thanksgiving, whether it be because our parents have offered compuls compulsory reasons to do so, have made it very clear that it is what is expected. Thank you for my plate of food. But then there's also gratitude, this reality that's, that's, I think, a little bit more internal. 
that's an experience that we have. It's a, I want to say it's more than a feeling, but, but it is at least in part like something that we feel, something that we embody, something that we, that kind of bubbles up inside of us, gratitude, which then leads our mouths or our hands or our external realities to offer thanksgiving. See what I'm, see what I'm saying here? The thanksgiving sort of like the outward expression of this inward sense. But we can be thankful or we can show signs of thanksgiving while being ungrateful internally and fake it like we teach our kids to do. Or the reverse can often be true. We can be incredibly grateful on the inside, feel overwhelming feelings of gratitude towards people in our lives, towards God, towards an author of a book, I don't know. Oh, it, can, it can run the gamut. But we maybe never make the connection of the external signal of thanksgiving to the one who made us experience that overwhelming sense of gratitude. So there remains this disconnect. We've probably all experienced this in our lives. Saying thanks when we don't mean it, and experiencing gratitude, but forgetting or not saying it. And I begin here this morning because I think it sets up the interesting sort of moment that we experience in our text this morning. It's, it's kind of a complex passage. We didn't read the whole chapter. I thought about it, but I decided for time's sake we wouldn't. And as you read through it, the, the initial thing that kind of could pop into your mind is that you know, God is instructing God's people seemingly at the front end of them entering the promised land and kind of offering these words to them. And, and it occurs to me that, that God could have written this more as like a legal document. We have at least one lawyer in the room this morning. And more like a tax code document. In other words, I... God saying, like, I've done all these things for you. I've given you this land. I've even given you this great harvest, so you need to give this percent of that harvest back or to the, to the priests so that they can run the temple and then also take care of the widows, the refugees, and the orphans. Like, God could have made it very, like, like hierarchical and sort of, like, handed down this decree to say, you will give this much back to run society, to take care of the marginalized, but the text doesn't read that way. It actually reads very differently. It reads as like instruction for a religious ceremony almost. It's, it's, it's really less in the realm of the state or the politic or the, the sort of like local civil society. And this text reads more as instruction on how to be faithful Jewish people, or back then Hebrew Israelite people before their God Yahweh. And it's instructing them of this act of, of this ancient practice of offering, of offering this external act of thanksgiving. And the text says to bring your first fruits in a, in a basket and to take it to the priest, which I just think is a funny idea. If y'all started showing up at my office door, knock, knock, knock. Oh, thanks, Emily, for a basket full of onions. <laughs> people are going to love that, as will their spouses or other people in their lives. Um, 
But that's what the text says to do, from your first fruits to go to the temple, or back then it would have been the tabernacle, and offer to the priest who's, in, who's on duty at that time the first fruits. And as you do it, you don't just hand the gift to the priest. And this is what I think is so fascinating about this whole scene. As you're handing it to the priest, you have to say these words. And I assume by memory, otherwise they'd have to have it. I mean, they didn't have printers, so... They have this memorized, probably from a very young age, from watching their own parents do it. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien. Few in number there, he became a great nation, mighty populace. When the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us by imposing hard labor on us, we cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. The Lord heard our voice, saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression." Every time they go to offer, they offer a, what is it? What, what is that that I just read? And I, know, I don't think most of you are Hebrew scholars, but the way that all the English translations present it, it's, it's not presented as like a prayer. It's, it's presented as a statement of like a statement of fact, like it's cold outside or it's cool inside, thanks be to God. <laughs> but it, it's, it's an interest. It's, it's like a liturgical piece and it doesn't fit form perfectly, but it's, it's just like this statement that these ancient people are told to memorize and every time they bring their gift of first fruits to God, they're to say it as they're handing their basket over to the priest is fascinating to me because, again, God could have just sort of like offered this as a legal, like, here's what you need to give back because I've done all this stuff for you. But that's not how it reads. God says, no, no, no. Here's this really distilled summary of y'all's history. Know it. Make sure your kids know it. And when you're gathering up the first fruits, maybe even start saying it out loud as your kids are like, Dad, what, why are you doing this? What are you doing with our food? And you're, you're gathering it up and you start saying it aloud and you get to that part where, and we were aliens in the land of the Egyptians. And you remind your children, that, oh yeah, we have, we have people that aren't from our tribe that also live here and they don't have a lot of the advantages that our tribe has. So this food, we take it to the priest and the priest goes and distributes it to them. And you know, in our society, most, most of the men work and the women take care of the kids so that if, if a woman's in a situation where her husband dies, economically that puts her at a huge disadvantage for the rest of her life and for the life of her children. So we give, make sure the, the widows have food. And then, of course, if both of your parents die, that makes you an orphan. And it's really rough for orphans in the ancient world, as it is still today. And we need to make sure the orphans are fed because they don't have any guardians looking out for them other than the priest and the clerics who are distributing this food or the volunteers so child of mine, as you see me loading up this basket full of food, we were once that. 
We were once aliens. We were refugees. We were widows. We were orphans. When we were enslaved in Egypt, a lot of our men died out there working in the sun, in the heat for too long and having strokes and dying from malnutrition or dehydration. It happened to us. And I imagine... This, this distillation of their history becoming such a, such a part of their, such a part of their internal reciting world that I, th- I think it would be similar to, to in English today, like these phrases that we can just like finish for one another, right? Yellow means... Nobody knows what yellow means. See, I knew it. (laughs) Come on, yellow means slow down, please. We'd all be a lot safer if you all would learn that. Red means, green means, see? You know, you knew red and green, so I'll give you that. But it it, it became, I believe, this simple, but, but just burnt into their memory, my father was a wandering Aramean, and they wouldn't have to tell the whole Joseph novella, the whole Joseph story at the end of Genesis to get them into Exodus, because they knew that. Their brains would just fill that part in. There was a drought. There was a famine. So we moved to Egypt, and it was great for a while because we had Joseph in charge, and then Joseph died, and they forgot who we were. And we kept having babies to the point where Pharaoh was like, these like other people are going to overtake our land. So we should teach them a lesson and and put slavery deep in their hearts and make sure they know who's boss. All of those stories would get told in the long form, but they would also know it in this short form. My father was a wandering Aramean. We were once aliens in a foreign land oppressed by the empire And we stay that way until we reached out to God. Why do I say all this and why do we look at this text this morning as we talk about gratitude? In short, because what in our lives causes that disconnect, right, between thanksgiving externally and gratitude internally? And I think that sometimes, even when we're teaching our children just to practice, say the words, thank you, please, to your grandmother or whatever, say it. I think even as adults, we sometimes can say the words thank you, but not be feeling or experiencing gratitude internally. And and I wonder, as adults, sometimes we just don't feel grateful in a time or in a season of our lives. And what do we do in those situations? Because modern psychology is showing us that actually like gratitude is associated with emotional well-being and health and longevity. Grateful people live longer. They're happier. They're more joyful. People want to be around them more. So there's all of these hosts of like non-religious, non-even like quote-unquote spiritually um, related things associated with gratitude. But I would argue that the gratitude, because of our text this morning, is actually specifically and directly a spiritual practice such as tithing or fasting or praying or coming to worship or serving your neighbor 
etc. I believe that it's part of the Christian life, and I believe that you could do a whole series on Jesus and gratitude and Paul and gratitude. We don't have time for that. But what I want to, to offer is that I think what happens is, is that we, we don't feel grateful when our ego sort of gets too much of the stage internally inside of us. And what I mean by that is when we look at ourselves and we see what we do or what we do have, what fortune we do have, what resource, what positive things we have, and we essentially see ourselves as responsible for those fortunes, for those good things. That's, that's our ego doing what it does best, placing us in the central role of the narrative and of the story, and giving us credit for the things for which we want credit, which is the good stuff. God knows this about people way back when the book of Deuteronomy was written down, and God also knows that the, the inverse of this is true as well, right? I don't know about y'all, but my kids are brilliant at finding fault in everybody else except for naming the fact that they were the one that did the thing. But they can find a thousand reasons why they're not responsible. And we just get better at this as we get older. We just get more subtle in how we say it. I don't need to go into the euphemisms. We all know it's true because we've probably all participated in it. And it makes us feel better sometimes. Sometimes it allows us to keep living a story or a narrative that's not quite true, but... Again, maybe that kind of puts off some un uncomfortable feelings of accepting fault and accepting where we were part of the ship going the wrong direction or whatever it may be. But we're good at this. And, and I think this is kind of the crux of the whole thing and of the whole text because this is humans. And God knows that God's dealing with a collective of humans who... When the rubber meets the road, when it comes time to take the big basket of bounty to the priest to distribute, there may be some people in that society who are going to say, but like, why, why do I have to do that? Why don't, we make, why don't the widows work? Why don't we put the orphans to work? If, if the orphans are orphans, then that's their, that's their situation, and there's, you know, that just is what it is. So like, they should work. Or... Or refugees, well, why are they here in the first place? Why do we have to... I mean, you can imagine how, in a really theoretical world, people could come up with these kinds of things and say these kinds of sentiments and statements about other humans and say, well, why do we have to take a basket of our food to the priest to... Because this basket is big and it's full because... I'm a winner, and I'm a good farmer, and I watered it really well, and I picked the better seed than the other guy. Because I'm, et cetera, et cetera. You see how this goes. We all do this. Everybody does this to some extent. And I think what God's saying here is when you catch yourself doing that, say, my ancestor was a wandering Aramean. And then we fled to Egypt where we were aliens, and they took care of us for a good long while, but then the tables turned and we were oppressed and enslaved and our, our situation looked real, real, real bad. It, you know, the whole Joseph thing looked real dumb now, right? So what do we do? We cry out to our tribal God and our God responds. And because of that, and only because our God responds, 
our story turns on its head. And now we have a big basket of food. Yes, there's always a divine human interplay when it comes to our lives. There's a relationship between how you respond to fortune or misfortune. There, there's, always, there's always some level of human capacity to respond, to not respond, how you respond in situations and circumstances, whether they be really, really bad things or really, really good things or somewhere in between. And that, that's true if you're at the top of the wealth spectrum in a society or if you're at the very bottom. You still have some level of, of how you interact with those realities. But what I think is really important, and I think God's point with making all the people when they bring, whether it's a giant bucket or whether it's a tiny basket of, of first fruits, I think the point is it's, it's the great leveling field. My ancestor was a wandering Aramean. My ancestor was a wandering Aramean. My ancestor was a wandering Aramean. In other words, we all started at the same place together. We were all wanderers. We've all been aliens. We've all been refugees. And if any of us allow our pride to make us superior to others because we think that we navigated our fortunes better than somebody else, God's like, y'all missed the whole point. You've missed the point. Look at this planet that God has given us. Look at the trees, look at the fish, look at the water, look at the breath in your lungs right now, look at the way we've been so devastatingly harsh on our home we call planet Earth, and the fact that it still is loving us as well as it is, is actually remarkable. God says, if, if you really think that it's all because of you, you've missed the point. And I think this is just a good word for us to hear every once in a while, and maybe we need to make our own creed, our own, our own distilled way of seeing our story. Maybe we, maybe we need to go home and make one of ourselves as individuals and then make one of our, of our own nation. I think some of us have, have had our worlds really enlightened and brought into new perspective in the last decade over, over the history of of race and white supremacy and that of indigenous people. And I will never be able to even really compare my experience as a white man born in, in the late 80s to a person of color born into a similar time period in this country. It's, it's, it's just not the same thing. And I can't take credit for anything because it's, it's all, as we say in our offering prayer, it's all gift. And we're called to hold it in humility. And I think humility at the end of the day is what really produces gratitude within us. Pride robs us of our gratitude. It robs us of the capacity to genuinely say thank you to someone else because we don't really mean it. Pride, which is the ego doing its best work in us. Humility, though, that's what cultivates true generosity that then allows us to, to say those words, 
to live those words, to offer those words. So I invite you, friends, this week as we bring foraging to a close to maybe make a distilled summary of your story that reminds you, that humbles you, that brings you back down where you came from, who, who your ancestors are, how you got where you are. And, and maybe all of us can do this collectively as humanity. We all go back to Genesis 3 and the fall and eating the wrong fruit and disobeying God. But we all go further back than that as beloved children created in the image of God. These stories, they frame us, they shape us, they contextualize, and in so doing, I pray that they humble us and remind us of why we can be and ought to be grateful. So friends, may we be a people who connect legitimate, authentic gratitude with our external world, our external realities, and when we say thank you, I pray that we are able to actually mean it in the name of God, the creator, the redeemer, and the sustainer. Amen and amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this week's message and we look forward to seeing you soon. If you listen from afar and you would like to support the work that we are doing in East Atlanta and on Atlanta's east side, you can visit our website, www.eastsideatl.org and find our giving portal there.